you have your Bibles, I want you to turn tonight to Acts 18. We're going to eventually make our way to 1 Corinthians, but we're going to start off in the book of Acts chapter 18. I'm excited to get back in our Through the Bible study um, here on Wednesday nights. We've been going through the, the Bible, and um, we've been in the New Testament for a, a bit now, and we left off in Romans, and tonight we are going to be picking up in 1 Corinthians. But before we do, we get there, we wanna, I want to set up the story. I want you to see how this church got started, and uh, so we're going to see that in Acts 18. So let's pray, and then we'll dive into this. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for all these folks that are uh, here this evening and for those that are watching online and even those that will be watching this at a later time. God, we pray tonight that your word would go forth in power through the ministry of your spirit. Um, God, we thank you for um, just your protection over our lives. And God, we do continue to pray that you would um, just move and work in our city and God, that you would pour out um, your spirit on San Diego, and um, we give it tonight, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Acts 18, verse 1. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. So pause there for a moment, and that, that right there sets the the stage, or it's kind of the setting of the story, and it's an important thing, I think, for us to note that Paul came to Corinth after he had been in Athens, and that's the scene that takes place there in Acts chapter 17, and some of you, you're familiar with that story, and you maybe recall when Paul was in Athens, um, his ministry there didn't go that well. Athens was sort of the philosophy center of the, the whole region. It's where all the you know, thinkers lived, and it's where the thinkers hung out. And, and um, you know, Paul goes there, and it was also a very idolatrous place. They had idols and, and gods for everything under the sun. And Paul comes into Athens, and he sees that they have an idol to the unknown God, and he decides, you know, that's going to be his launching point. And he says, I want to talk to you about this God. And, and, it, and it's interesting, because he preaches an amazing sermon. I mean, it's a sermon that's been um, studied in seminaries and, and, and that type of thing for years and years and years because of you know, the way that he uses culture, the way he was relative, and the way that he you know, just really seeks to you know, speak to them. So he preaches this amazing message at the place called the Aragopagus, and, um, and he had three reactions. There was ridicule. There was those who were like, just, you know, we don't want to hear this guy. There were some who said, oh, this is interesting. We'll come back at a later time and hear from you. And then we see at the very end of the chapter, there were a couple of people who did receive the Lord. So Paul leaves Athens and he heads to Corinth, which is about a 50-mile journey. And it's important that we understand the kind of place that Paul was coming to in Corinth. So we want to talk about the city. And you can see on this map here, you have Athens there to the right, Corinth there to the, to the left, and this stretch of land right there in between the two. Now get this, Athens, the population of Athens, there were 10,000 Roman citizens living in Athens. 50,000 slaves. But contrast that with Corinth. In Corinth, there was 200,000 Roman citizens living there and 500,000 slaves living in Corinth. So the population there is um, almost 10 times the population of Athens. So it's a much bigger, it's a metropolis. It's a much bigger city. So that in itself would have been kind of intimidating. And um, Corinth was a favorite spot for the Roman soldiers to go and retire. Its very position made it a key city in Greece. Because Greece, as you can see by this map, it was cut into two regions um, separated by the sea with that little strip of land right there in the middle. And on the one side, you had uh, what was known as the Saronic Gulf, and its port was called Centuria. And then on the other side was the Corinthian Gulf, and its port was Lechium. And between 
between the two, there's this, this neck of land that's about five miles across that was called the Isthmus. They actually started a, a, uh, some games, like the Olympic Games that they called the Isthmus Games there in Corinth. And all the traffic going north and south into Greece had to pass through Corinth. So it was a very, very strategic city. It, it had the nickname of being the Bridge of Greece. Corinth was also a great commercial center, and it was called the Marketplace of Greece, because if you were going to be doing any kind of business, you would do it there in Corinth. But Corinth was also a sports town. And as I mentioned, they hosted the Isthmus Games there. It was second only to the Olympic Games. But they had their favorite events. They had their favorite athletes. I mean, they were into this. They had their fan clubs. I mean, you can just imagine, you know, what that would have been like. Probably a lot similar to our sports towns that we have today. And like a lot of sports towns, Corinth was also a party town. A lot of sports towns, they have parties. They have all their sports bars and, you know, that type of thing. In fact, the Corinthian name was synonymous with party animal. In fact, anytime they casted somebody in a play in the theater and they were from Corinth, that person, you knew they were going to be, their, their character was going to be a drunk. You know, can you imagine that? Talk about being typecast. It's like somebody in the play introduces themselves, you know, hi, I'm Joe from Corinth. You're like, okay, I know where this is going. You know, this guy's going to have a drinking problem. I mean, that was what it was like. Corinth was also a city that was given to idolatry. And the most popular was the goddess Aphrodite. In fact, in the center of the city was this temple that was dedicated to Aphrodite. And every evening they would send out 1,000, 1,000 temple prostitutes that would go out into the city looking for men to engage in sexual relations with them as an act of worship to this goddess of sensuality. And so there was a saying in that region, they, they said this, not every man can afford a journey to Corinth. Today we might say what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. I mean, that was kind of the idea of this place. It was a place that was just known for its debauchery. But this is the city that Paul had come to. This is the city that God led Paul to. It's to this city that God was going to do an amazing thing. And there's something that we need to remember. Those of us who are living in the wickedness and the craziness of our day and age is that we need to remember that our God is still working. That our God is still on the move. That I believe in many, many ways the book of Acts is still being written because the book of Acts is all about the acts of the Holy Spirit working through the church and God is still working today, amen? So Paul arrives here in Corinth, look at verse two. It says, and he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontius, who had had recently come from Italy with his wife, Priscilla, because Claudius, the ruler, had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. And so we see a little bit of, you know, some prejudice happen here, that in Rome, the Romans were like, get all the Jews out of here. So they dispersed, and this couple, Priscilla and Aquila, they make their way to Corinth, and it's here that Paul, it says, he joined them. And so it says, because, verse 3, because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for by op occupation, they were tent makers. And so the first thing we see here about Paul when he comes to the city is he gets a job. He's not looking for a handout. He's looking for how he can earn a living. He's looking for how he can work. And it was customary for Jewish fathers to teach their children, their sons, a trade, even if they were training to be a rabbi. And Paul was, you know, he, he went up, came up and was trained to be a rabbi. And his trade, what he was trained in was tent making. And it was a skill which he used to support his ministry here in Corinth as well as in other places. And through it, he meets this amazing couple and he worked with them and he stayed with them and they would end up partnering with Paul in his ministry. And these two people, Priscilla and Aquila, were, were two people, they were just strong in the word of God. They were people of the Bible. In fact, we read in another place where they come along and they literally like schooled Apollo in 
correct doctrine because his doctrine was off a little bit about Jesus. And they were able, they were so grounded in the word that they were able to kind of school and mentor this guy, Apollos, who was a mighty preacher. He said he was mighty in in word, just a great orator, but his, his theology wasn't all squared away. And so they, this couple helped him. And I love this, how Paul links up with these guys that, you know, they make tents and I make tents. And so I'm going to link up with them. And I love how God uses our similarities. You know, that you see people who maybe they're into sports or they're into surfing and they connect on that level and God uses them in that way. Or maybe it's, you know, the arts or maybe it's music or, you know, something like that. Or maybe it's the same type of profession like with Paul. They're both tent makers and God uses that to bring people together. And that's what happens here. Notice verse four. And it says, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath. So that was Paul's pattern. He would always start off when he went to a city going to the Jewish synagogue. It's there he would preach to the Jewish people. And it says he persuaded both Jews and Greeks that were there. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, He shook his garments and said to them, your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. So the same thing is happening here in almost every city that Paul goes to. He starts off by going to speak and and share Jesus with the Jewish people and any of the Gentiles that had converted to Judaism and were part of the synagogue there. But they're not buying this. They're not not getting this whole Jesus thing. And so they start to blaspheme. They start to ridicule. And Paul basically says, all right, your blood be on your own heads. I'm clean. And that was just a way of saying, look, I'm not responsible for your judgment. And there's a judgment coming. There's a judgment that happens when you reject Christ. And he's saying, look, you know, that's not on me. That's on you guys. And this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to the Gentiles. And whenever Paul does it, that's his pattern. The Jews reject him. I'm going to go to the Gentiles. The Jews get riled up. And that's what we're going to see happens here. Verse 7. And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Now, when I read that, I think, man, how did that happen? You know, how convenient, you know, like he's got right next door, you know, did that guy justice go, hey, I heard you. And that was really interesting. I'd love to hear more. I mean, this is one of the stories. I got a lot of them. I got a list going of when I get to heaven, it's like, okay, how did that one happen? Lord, you know, I'm wondering how this all came together, but Paul ends up at the house of justice. And I love Paul's heart. Make note of this, especially those of you who, you know, have a heart to serve the Lord. Notice this. Paul's in the synagogue, and this isn't happening. It's not working. They're not receiving it. And so what does Paul do? I'm going to go fish somewhere else. He's not like, oh, I'm out of here. I'm going to quit. You know, I mean, obviously, you know, this isn't working. He's like, no, I'm going to find another place to fish. And I love that heart to not just give up so easily to be, you know what? If it's not working over here, if this isn't happening, I'm going to try something else. And I love that heart in Paul. And when he does this, an amazing thing happens. Notice verse eight. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue. So this is the head guy of where Paul had gone and had been rejected. Something happened. In that guy's heart, he's listening to Paul talk and everybody else is like, man, we don't want to hear this. Get this guy out of here. But Crispus, there's something that's igniting in him. And it says that he ends up believing on the Lord and all of his household. And many of the Corinthians having believed, hearing, believed and were baptized. So here we see God is beginning this mighty work. He's working in this incredible way. People are getting saved. The word is going out. He's got great helpers in Aquila and Priscilla and Silas and Timothy. Crispus, the head dude of the synagogue, is now, you know, following Jesus. And you would think, all right, this is awesome. Let's rejoice. But it's at this moment that Paul's heart is suddenly filled with fear. Paul's anxiety-ridden at this point. How do I know that? Well, notice what we're told in verse 9. 
It says, now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision and said, do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent. Now, why would the Lord show up to Paul and say, hey, Paul, don't be afraid. It's because he was afraid. (laughs) He's starting to get afraid. It's the same reason why the Lord comes to Joshua and says, Joshua, don't be afraid. Be of good courage. Why? Because Joshua was filling big shoes. He had a big job and he was afraid. God, same thing, comes to Moses, tells him not to be afraid. Comes to David, tells him not to be afraid. Why? Because they were human just like us. They had emotions just like us. They went through these things. And, and so Paul, no doubt, is fearing here about you know, this situation. And this, the Lord appears to him and says, fear not. Now, why did Paul fear? Why is he fearful at this moment? Things are going great. I think the reason is because Paul was anticipating a pattern. That Paul's thinking in his mind, here we go again. I've seen this already. You know, this is like deja vu. This is what happens in every city that I go to. People start getting saved. Jewish people start coming to Christ. And here, now we've got the head guy, Crispus, is a believer in Jesus. And what happened in every city where Paul went, the other Jews would get mad. And Paul would get beat up. Paul would get put in prison. Paul would have a real big Difficulty, And Paul was beginning to realize this pattern that anytime he saw external gain, it was going to be followed by personal pain. And, you know, that's what Paul was experiencing here. And so this is what he's thinking from his perspective. You know, the the future was predictable. Okay, here we go again, that soon there would be a riot. And then he would be beaten. It's like a boxer. You know, a boxer knows I'm going into the ring and I'm going to get clobbered right now, you know. And, and that's, I think, what Paul was feeling. In fact, one scholar, though, said this, that Paul was worrying about troubles that he wasn't facing yet. And the scholar put it this way, that he was borrowing trouble. That Paul was playing what we might call the what-if game. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if this goes wrong? That's a terrible habit that I think all of us can engage in. And you know what? Half the time, we are worrying about things that we have no control over to begin with, right? That we can't help. So Paul is starting to be filled with anxiety, which I just got to say, this is encouraging to me. That Paul, you know, this great man of God, was feeling anxious, fearful. Because I feel that way sometimes. It gives me great courage to think about that, you know, Moses, David, Joshua, these great men that we read about in the Bible, they were human just like us. They struggled with their emotions just like we do. So the Lord is going to meet Paul, though, in this moment. Notice what the Lord again, verse nine, do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent for I am with you. And no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. And here we see the Lord tells Paul three important things. He gives him three words of encouragement. Number one, he gives him a reminder of his presence. Paul, hey, I'm with you. I'm with you, Paul. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. I'm right here. It reminds me of what we talked about this Sunday when we looked at the second part of Psalm 23, where David said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I am not going to fear. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I'm not going to fear. And so the Lord gives Paul, first of all, this reminder of his presence. Number two, he gives him a great promise. He literally says, Paul, look, this time's going to be different. No one will attack you to hurt you. Now, this was new. This is the first time that uh, Paul was accustomed to getting beaten. I mean, just go back a little bit on your own. In Acts chapter 14, four chapters earlier, Paul was stoned with rocks in Lystra and left for dead. In Acts chapter 16, Paul was beaten and in prison in Philippi. This was the pattern. This is what he was used to. This is what, you know, was kind of becoming the norm. But now he gets this promise of God's protection and the Lord saying, hey, you know, no one's going to hurt you this time. But listen, listen, Paul had to believe that. He had to believe that. He had to act on that. 
And I was reminded today, so I was thinking about this, of that, you know, this woman who would mark all in her Bibles, different verses. She would have a T or a T and a P. And somebody looking at her Bible said to her one time, what are all these T's and P's? And she says, well, those are all promises of God. And when I read them, I want to act on them. So I write next to it, tried. Okay, I tried that. I acted on that. And then when I see God's fulfillment, I put a P next to it for proven. Tried and proven. Yeah, that's what God wants us to be. Those who are acting upon his word. So Paul is reminded of Jesus' presence with him. He's reminded of the Lord's protection over him. And number three, he is given the right perspective. God's perspective for the city when the Lord says this to him. Paul, don't be afraid. No one's going to hurt you. Because here's what I want you to understand. I have many in this city. Now, if you're thinking about Corinth, I mean, this is a wicked place. It's a horrible place. It's a very ungodly place. But the Lord says, hey, I've got people in the city. Now, that didn't mean, don't, that didn't mean that there were a lot of Christians in the city that Paul just didn't know about. That's not what God's saying. What God is saying is this. Hey, Paul, there's some people there here that I'm calling, that right now I'm drawing, that they just need to hear your message and they are going to turn to me. I've got a lot of people in this city. And you know what? I think that's God's heart for this city. I think that's his heart for San Diego. Jesus said this, hey, the harvest is ripe, the laborers are few. And I think the Lord would say that to you and I today in the midst of all the crazy, hey, don't get all caught up in that. I've got many in this city. I love what you know, Paul says in Romans, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And I don't know about you, but whenever I go into crazy situations or... Have you ever gone into a, a city or a place where you just can feel the darkness? Man, I've gone into some places like that. But every time I go in... I'll say this. Most of the time, there's sometimes where I get freaked out. Most of the time when I go into situations like that, I think this. Hey, where sin abounds... And obviously there's a lot of sin here. Grace abounds all the more. You see, that's what happens when we factor the Lord into the equation. The Lord's saying, hey, Paul, I want you to see this differently. Jesus wanted Paul to see opportunities, not challenges. And that's what happens when we factor the Lord into the equation. We see opportunities and we see possibilities. But you know what? Some people, they just see the challenges. And, and I'll be honest with you. Those people can sometimes be a drag. I call them Eeyore Christians. You know? Or they're just always like negative. You know, it's like they're always like, you know, just, oh, this, oh, that, you know, that, that type of thing. I love those who see possibilities. I love those who see opportunities. I love like Jonathan and his armor bearer that are like, you know, God doesn't need a whole army. Let's just the two of us go over to that, you know, camp of the Philistines and let's just see what God might want to do. I love that type of heart. That's willing to risk. And, you know, I, I think fear sees obstacles and faith sees opportunities and possibilities. Paul would be a man of faith. Now, I will say this, though. Eeyores have their place. They do. In fact, I can be an Eeyore sometimes. I really can. And Eeyores have their place to bring balance. But I got to tell you, if I had to choose between a room full of Eeyores and a room full of Tiggers. You know, I would pick the Tiggers any day of the week. Like, come on, let's go. Let's just see what God might want to do. You know, that's what the Lord is saying here to Paul. Don't be an Eeyore, Paul. Be a Tigger. You know, he didn't say that. But he was saying, hey, I've got people in this city that you don't even know about. I'm going to do something here, and I want you to trust me. And Paul does. Look at verse 11. And he, speaking of Paul, continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. This is the second longest place that Paul stayed and ministered. The first is Ephesus. He pastored there for three years. Corinth is second. He pastored in this city for 18 months. The Lord says, Paul, don't be afraid. 
because I'm with you. Paul, I'm giving you this promise. No one's going to hurt you. Paul, I want you to see this city the way that I do. It's a harvest field. I have many in this city. And Paul goes, all right, that's what I'm doing. And he stayed there 11 or 18 months. It's awesome. And God established a great work there in Corinth. Paul was teaching them, ministering to them for those 18 months. But get this, but it wasn't smooth sailing. Okay, notice verse 12. When Galileo was proconsul of Acacia, Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, now notice, the Jews are bringing them before this guy Galileo, saying, this fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, oh Jews, there would be reason why I should bear with you. But if it's a question of words and names on your own law, look to it yourselves, for I do not want to be a judge of such matters. And it says, and he drove them from the judgment seat. And then check this out. This is kind of funny. It really isn't, but it's, it's kind of ironic. That's a better word. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue. Okay, Now, we just read about Crispus, right? Being the ruler of the synagogue. And he got saved. And his whole family, he's now following Jesus. So he probably got fired. He's no longer the ruler of the synagogue. This guy took his place. And I want you to remember this guy's name. It's going to come up again in a few minutes. But they took him... And they beat him before the judgment seat. So these are the Greeks, the Gentiles. You know, Galileo says, hey, this is a Jewish matter. This is about your law. I don't want to waste my time on this. And the Greeks that are listening to this are like, these dumb Jews. And they take, you know, Sosthenes. He's like the ringleader. And they beat him up. But Galileo took no notice of these things. So So Paul still remained a good while. Here's the lesson. God's presence and promise do not mean there will not be opposition. Note that. In fact, most of the time, there'll be even more opposition. Because the enemy wants to discourage us to quit. And when we get a promise from God, when we get a vision from God, and the enemy wants to be right there going, that's stupid, that's not the Lord, you know, that's you. Listen, the devil is never, ever, ever going to tell you to go tell somebody about Jesus, okay? Just want to make that clear, you know? So, okay, I feel like I need to go talk to that guy, but I don't, is this, is this the Lord or is this the devil? The devil's never going to tell you to do that, okay? He's never going to tell you to go share Jesus with anybody, okay? He's not going to do that. So Paul, I love this. The enemy wants to discourage us. The enemy wants to discourage Paul, but he doesn't quit. It says, so Paul still remained there a good while. Now here's what's interesting to note about Paul's ministry in this metropolis in Corinth. He comes to Corinth, this pagan, immoral place, this huge city, He comes there from Athens where he's been with all the intellectuals and it seems that Paul kind of changes his approach here. And this is where I now want you to turn to 1 Corinthians and I actually want you to turn to chapter 2 with me for a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So goes Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. So you're turning a little bit pages to your left, a few pages. 1 Corinthians 2, look at verse 1. Paul writes, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So Paul is in Athens and he, you know, preaches this really, really, you know, interesting, relevant, 
intellectual type sermon to these intellectual people and has very little result. He comes to Corinth and he's like, you know what? I changed my approach. I, when I came to Corinth, I just wanted to talk to them about Jesus and Jesus alone. I wanted to preach to them Christ and him crucified. Verse 3 says, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. So Paul's like, I came here and I wasn't, you know, trying to be anybody. I actually, you know, I was in weakness. I was in trembling. I, you know, and, and maybe that's because he just came from a bad experience in Athens, yeah, I know in times where, you know, I've, I've had, um, you know, they, they say pastors want to commit suicide every Monday, you know, after Sunday, because we think Sunday goes so bad. <laughs> it's like, you know, um, and uh, I've had those moments where I just, I'm driving home and, uh, and, and I'm just like, oh man, that was horrible. You know, Lord help me. And I just want to quit, you know, and maybe that's what Paul felt like. You know, after Athens, he just wanted to quit. So he comes with much weakness and fear and much trembling. And he says, and my speech and my, my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So Paul a little bit different approach. Was it influenced by Athens? We're not sure. But regardless, we, we see this. One thing is that this points out what would become the staple in Paul's ministry is that his ministry was going to emphasize the centrality of Christ. That the centrality of Christ, Jesus being center, would be the focal point of his teaching and his preaching. And Paul probably would have loved and agreed with, you know, our sign out front, simply Jesus. Because that's what he was all about. And, you know, that's our heart behind that sign is that it's all about Jesus, it's all to Jesus, and it's all for Jesus. And that was Paul's focus in his ministry. That was his deal. And we'll see this, that emphasis on Jesus throughout this epistle, but I want you now to turn to chapter one and let's see how this starts. And I want you to notice something. Chapter one, verse one. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, <laughs> you caught that. <laughs> to the church of God, which is at Corinth, and to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all who are in every place called on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's been said that you can often tell what or who is important to someone by how much they come up or that comes up in a conversation. Well, notice this. Paul mentions the name of Jesus Christ four times in three verses. He's all about Jesus. And he mentions another name. You caught it, some of you. Sosthenes. Isn't that awesome? I mean, here's this guy. He was the chief ruler of the synagogue. He was the one that the Greeks were like, you know, that guy's causing all the problems here. Let's beat that guy because, you know, they were trying to drum up these, you know, charges against Paul. And now we see this guy who was the chief conspirator against Paul is now, if it's the same guy, and most people think it is, that now he is in union. He's Paul's companion. He's now saved too. Isn't that awesome? You know, it's been said that if you throw a rock into a pack of dogs, the dog that, that barks is the one that got hit, or the dog that barks the loudest is the one that got hit. Sosthenes is a guy who, you know, he was barking loud. We got to silence this Paul guy. But God was doing something in his heart. And I just want you to make note of that, because sometimes, you know, you might be talking to somebody at work, or you might be talking to somebody in your neighborhood about Jesus, and their response is really, really strong against what you're saying. And oftentimes we think, oh man, that guy's a lost cause, or, you know, I'm not talking to that guy again. Don't do that, because oftentimes that person that's reacting in that way 
they're the one that's being convicted the most. That's why they're reacting in that way. God's doing something to their heart. Now, I want you to notice a few things about Paul and his audience, and then we'll be done for tonight. I want you to first of all know Paul's calling. Notice his calling. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. The word apostle means sent one. That's what Paul was. Remember on the road, Acts chapter 9, when he gets saved on the road to Damascus, and Paul says, you know, he was Saul of Tarsus then, but he says, who are you, Lord, and what do you want me to do? And the Lord tells him, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, and this is what I want you to do. I'm going to send you out to bring the gospel to your Jewish brethren and also to the Gentiles. Paul was a sent one. He he didn't plan this. He didn't pick this. He was commissioned by the Lord. But notice it says, by the will of God. Paul was doing what he was doing because he was answering a call from the Lord. Now notice his audience. He says, the church, to the church of God, which was in Corinth. Now, notice it wasn't the church of Paul. Notice it wasn't even the church of Corinth. Sometimes you see that, you know, first church of Vista, um, you know, type of a thing. No, it's the church of God that was in Corinth. It's the church of God because Jesus purchased the church. And the church is in a building. The church is the people. And we belong to him because he has purchased us with his blood. Now, we are a part of the church of God that is here in Vista. And the church of God is, you know, any of believers, any of those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus and what he did for them upon Calvary. So he calls them the church of God. It belongs to him that is in Corinth. But I also want you to note, and I like this, that Paul didn't ignore their link to the city. He mentions the city. Why? Because they had a role to play. In the city. Paul wanted them to have a heart for the city. And so he mentions the church of God. He could have stopped right there in Corinth. Why? Because God has placed you in this city. You are the church of God. Where do you live? Vista. You're part of the church of God in Vista. Oceanside, Carlsbad, Fallbrook, you know, Bonzo, wherever. You know, we have people in our church that come from all these different areas. San Marcos, you know, where, where do you live? You are a part of the church of God in that city. And then he says, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. The word sanctified means set apart. The word saint means called out ones. Now we're called to something is the idea. We're set apart. For someone, we're called to something. We're called to Jesus. The idea behind this, don't miss this. When the Lord says, you're, you're sanctified, I'm setting you apart. I'm calling you, you're a saint. You're one who has been set apart for someone, Jesus. But you've also been set apart from something. What was the thing that they were set apart from? They were to be set apart from, and don't miss this, the worldliness of the city, but not the city itself. You see, sometimes we make that mistake. I know Christians that want to just go isolate themselves in little communes, you know, and like just, I want to just get away from, from the world. No, no, no. They, they were sanctified, set apart from the worldliness of the city, but they were in the city to reach the city. And he wants them to identify, and it's important that we know that we're in the city and and we're to be for the city, but they were also to be set apart from the worldliness of the city. And so Paul is writing to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, and then he says this, with all who in every place call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both theirs and ours. Here's what Paul's saying. Here's what he's reminding them. Here's what we need to remember all the time. You know, we are Calvary Chapel of Vista. Calvary Vista for short. Here in Vista. But we are a part of the big C church. God's church. The church as a whole. 
And we have brothers and sisters, you know, people, you know, that are in churches all around here that we're connect, we're, we're connected to them. We're going to be spending eternity with them. And it's a beautiful thing. One of the things I love about North County, uh, San Diego is, you know, we have a um, fellowship of churches that's about 70 strong of all evangelical churches and um, different denominations, you know, different styles, different flavors. But we come together and there's this heart of like, hey, we all belong to Jesus. Next Wednesday, before I come here, I will be meeting with about 20 of those guys. We meet once a month on, on Wednesdays. I'm trying to get them to change it because I'm the only one that does a Wednesday night service. But uh, anyway, um, but we, uh, are, we're, we mean, it's just a sweet time, a couple hours of just really sweet, sweet fellowship together. And you know, some of you might be thinking, well, what's the big deal about that? I know some guys who don't fellowship with any pastor that's not a part of their denomination. In fact, I hate to say this, but I know a Calvary Chapel pastor who kind of boastfully said, I heard him say once, all of my, I don't have any friends, I don't have any guys on my phone that are not Calvary Chapel pastors. And I thought, how sad. That's sad, that's tragic. That's your brother. You know, we're brothers. You you know, they, they might worship a little bit different. They might emphasize some different things, but we are brothers and sisters in the Lord. And Paul mentions that here. He wants them to know, hey, you guys aren't by yourselves. You're part of the, the, the with, with all in every place. What, what's happening here in Corinth, hey, God's doing this in cities all over this part of the world. And I love that. So we're all one in the Lord. Now, many of you are familiar with the church in Corinth. And you're familiar with it because of its problems. Like when you, you know, hear about oh, Corinthians, oftentimes, you know, we think about this church like, boy, they had some problems in that church. Let me tell you what some of the problems were um, in the church that Paul is going to address. One is they were abusing the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Like it was crazy what was going on in there as it related to the gifts. Um, You had brothers and sisters in the church suing one another, taking each other to court. And Paul's going to talk to them about that. There were divisions in the church. There was a guy in the church who was sleeping with his stepmom. And like coming to church and everybody in the church knew about it, knew this, you know, sordid affair was going on and they're not doing anything about it. Like he's, he's in the front row worshiping, you know, and they're just, and they know this whole thing's going on. They're just letting it be, you know, they're just like, we're just going to be loving. We're going to be tolerant. You know, this whole thing's going on. Paul's going to talk to them about that. They were abusing communion. I mean, there were people get this. This is, this is hard to imagine with our little tiny communion cups. In their communion services, people were getting drunk. They were abusing the, the alcohol, you know, of the, of the communion service. I mean, imagine that, you know, after, after communion Wednesday, you know, here's five people in the back and they're just smashed, you know. That's what's happening in this church, okay? It's, it's crazy. There were people engaged in sexual immorality. There, there were disputes over eating food sacrificed to idols. So yes, this is a church that had a lot of problems. It's a church that probably would get a really bad Yelp review. You know they do that for churches now. <laughs> you get a Yelp review. Um, People, you like, oh, I'm not going there. They're reading the reviews. You know, I'm not going to that place. I heard, oh, I heard about the reputation of that place. Now, why do I bring that up? I bring that up for this reason, and I, wanted, I want you to see this before we go tonight. I want you to see Paul's heart for this group of people. I want you to see how he describes them. It's quite ironic. Look at verse 4. He says, first of all, I thank my God always. Everybody say always. always. I thank my God always concerning you. For the grace of God, which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him, in all utterance and all knowledge, 
even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short. Catch this. You come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So here's the deal. Paul goes to this church. He starts it. He stays there 18 months. He teaches them. He's leading them. He's pastoring them. They're growing. The church is growing. And after 18 months, he leaves. And he goes off and, you know, time goes by and then he hears about what's going on back in Corinth. And so he's going to write to them. And he's going to address a lot of these problems. But notice how he starts in talking about them. Notice in verse 5, he, he says that they were enriched in everything. In other words, he says, you guys are blessed. You are a blessed body of believers. In verse 6, he says their testimony was confirmed. They had a testimony in the city that, hey, God is doing something with that group of people. In verse 7, he says, you're not lacking in any of the gifts. I mean, the, the spiritual gifts, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are flowing in your church. In verse 7, he says, also, and they're eagerly waiting for the Lord's return. Now, if I just read that and didn't tell you any of the first part about all the problems, wouldn't you be going like, that sounds like a great place. Man, that's a church I want to go to. Man, they sound amazing. They're blessed. Their, their testimony's awesome. The gifts are flowing. They, they have a sense of the soon return of Jesus Christ. What's going on here? What's the deal? Because we know what's coming. I mean, next week, we're going to see the first thing Paul's going to address is this division amongst them. So is Paul just blowing smoke here? Is he just trying to be nice? No. He's revealing something that we often forget, that every single Christian is a work in progress. All of us here, we're a work in progress. I don't care if you have been following Jesus for a year or a month or six months or 30 years. 30 years, man. I've been following Jesus now for about 40 years and I have not arrived, okay? We are all still a work in progress. And here's the thing. We don't expect physically, you know, a two-year-old to like have it all together. You know, my grandson's two and, two and a half. He'll be three in October. And when he turns three, I'm not like, okay, bro, pack your bags, you know, you're out of here. <laughs> here's 10 bucks, go make it, you know. No, he's three. You know, it's not going to be the case. But we tend to do that with Christians. We tend to do that in the body of Christ. People come into the body with baggage and they have their own life experiences, things that have affected them, that they're viewing scripture through that lens. They're viewing their relationship with God through that lens. They're dealing with things and every single one of us is growing at a different rate and it takes time for the Lord to deal with the stuff that we all have, stuff. Look at the person next to you and say, I got stuff, okay? Just tell them that. <laughs> we all got stuff, all right? But it's been said that Jesus did not save us to leave us as we are. He saved us to transform us, to make us more like Jesus. That's what sanctification is. He's doing that work of setting us apart. And this is what's so cool. Notice what Paul says again in verse 9. God is faithful. By whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's what we're going to see in the rest of this book. Is yes, the church had some good things going on. But it wasn't a perfect church. Because there isn't one. A perfect church doesn't exist. It's been said before. If you think you found a perfect church, don't join it because you will ruin it, okay? As <laughs> soon as you join, it's no longer perfect, all right? The church is full of sinners. And that's what we're going to see in this letter. 
God doesn't let them be in their sin. God doesn't let them stay in their sin. Paul's going to write and address every single thing that is going on in this church that wasn't right. And he's going to bring every single situation unto underneath the centrality of Christ and, and, and try to get them to say, hey, here's, here's what somebody looks like that loves Jesus, that's seeking to follow Jesus. This is how they practice the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Here's the focal point. Here's why they don't use their first um, choice to go to the courts and sue one another. He's going to talk about all of these different things. Paul's going to address it, and he's going to instruct them in the way of righteousness because that's the Lord's heart for us. God is never, ever, ever does he make it easy for you to stay in your sin. He convicts us because he loves us. So, as I said, next week we're going to see where Paul is going to tackle the subject, the, the problem of division in the church. But here's what I want to just leave you with tonight. I want you to imagine the Lord saying to you today, tonight, hey, I'm with you. Whatever you're fearing, hey, I'm with you. Don't be afraid about that. I'm with you. Imagine right now Jesus saying to you, and I'm going to protect you. You're mine. You belong to me. I've got my hand on you. I'm going to protect you. And then him saying to you, hey, and I want you to realize, I want you to change your perspective. I want to change the way you see your surroundings. Because I've got many in this city. I've got many in your school that isn't meeting yet. I've got many in your neighborhood. I've got many in that gym that you go to. I've got many. You fill in the blank. The Lord's saying to us, hey, let's change our perspective. The harvest is ripe. The laborers are few. Let's see the world the way that Jesus does. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this example that we see in Paul. God, we thank you, Lord, that Paul was one who had fear, anxiety, who could struggle at times. And Lord, I pray tonight that our hearts would be encouraged that you would say to us, hey, you don't need to fear because I'm with you. My rod and my staff, they're there to comfort you. And Lord, I pray that we would realize that every single one of us in this room is a work in progress. But you are faithful to complete the work that you've begun. So Lord, let, help us to not beat ourselves up. And Lord, please help us to not beat each other up. But to pray and to love and to stir up one another to love and good works. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.